It's good to see you this morning. Beautiful Missouri weather. Amen. Somebody said, did you pray for this? I said, yes, I did, but it was back in August of last year when we were really dry and hot. So anyway, my prayers come about every six months. But anyway, every day is the day that God makes, and it's really an awesome day to be out. So just one last reminder, next week we have Easter, two services. We'll have an 8.30 and a 10.30. And so again, we won't have Sunday school or no donuts. All right, hold on tight. All right, look to your neighbor and say, we will survive this. All right, we will survive this. But anyway, we're looking forward to a great time. You know, for some reason, people want to come to church on Easter. And somebody says, well, should I invite them if that's the only time they come? Yeah, yeah, because we're going to present the gospel. And what an opportunity to be able to share the Lord. And so just be praying about that person that you can invite to come with you. And I'm more looking forward to some great services. I just want to just make a comment. I appreciate those who work in the landscaping. I know I don't say it enough. We have a small army of people that, that volunteer. And that we have the most beautiful church of any church I've ever been to. I appreciate our volunteers. Anybody here today that works in landscaping, any of the yard work, anything outside, stand up. All right. Good to see Bruce. All right. They do a great job. We are very, very, very blessed. So we've been doing a series on Amazing Grace. And again, I believe one day in heaven, I think there's, we're going to sing, do a lot of singing in heaven. Again, I don't think there's going to be any preaching in heaven as far as I know. You guys have endured enough on this side, amen? But worship's going to be such a vital part of heaven. And I believe somewhere we'll be singing Amazing Grace because I think we're going to really, really be amazed when we see the holiness of God and realize he gave up all that because he loved you and I. I love how someone said it, he would rather die than live without us. And that's really hard to imagine that he was willing to go to Calvary and go through all that he went through just so you and I could spend an eternity with him. That's an amazing God. A verse we looked at the last couple of weeks, one of my favorites in Romans 5. And let's read together the latter part of that verse. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. I think God wants us to reign in life. And it's not based on our performance it's really based on the goodness of God and just learning to receive with childlike faith the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Hebrews 12, we looked at last week. Let's just read it together. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. I don't want to go through life one day just doing the best I can or just trying to strive. But every day I want to acknowledge God without you I can do nothing and yet through you I can do all things. And so every day we have to receive that abundant grace. And so we've looked at the last couple of weeks as well. Mercy and grace seem to always go hand in hand in the Bible. And again, a reminder, mercy is not getting the punishment I deserve. Grace is getting the blessings I don't deserve. So when we think about Calvary, both of those come into play. At Calvary, God showed mercy. Because you and I deserve to forever stay separated from God. That's what we deserve because the Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And that word just means separation. What we deserve is to stay forever separated from God. 
but he showed us mercy at the cross. But grace is getting the blessings that I don't deserve, giving, getting his righteousness and kind of making an exchange for my robe of self-righteousness, which the Bible says is like filthy rags, the best of the best of the best that I can perform is nothing more than filthy rags. But when I was 13 years old, a young man in church, and even though I'd grown up in church all my life, somehow when I was 13, I knew that I knew that I knew that I needed Jesus. Even though I was a member of the church, when I was eight years old, I went forward. I knew all the right things to say. But I do not believe that I really invited Jesus into my life until I was 13. And even as a 13-year-old, I just felt a tremendous weight lifted off of me. I, did, I, I mean, I just cannot tell you the experience of just really receiving the, the Holy Spirit in my life. And so mercy and grace are kind of uh, opposite sides of the same coin, if you will. And again, at Calvary, we really see both of those come into play. On Calvary, God showed us mercy because we're not going to have to get what we should get, but we also got the blessing of getting His righteousness. Very beautiful. Gina, by the way, in the early service, sang that song so beautifully, just expressed that very thing. So let's just be reminded of uh, mercy and grace. Let's read together out of Titus 3, 5, some familiar verses. Would you join me? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Aren't you thankful that we're not going to have to stay separated from God because he showed us mercy? We didn't deserve it, but he showed us mercy. But also we find grace, another familiar verse, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Would you join me? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we have nothing to boast about. We just receive the abundance of grace that God has given us, and we can reign in life. Very beautiful. I love how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, when again at Calvary, God made an exchange. He took my sin, and he gave me his righteousness. I don't even know that I understand that, but growing up in church, I was always told that he died for my sin, that my sin was on his body on that tree, as 1 Peter 2, 24 says. But what I have a hard time receiving is that he gave me his righteousness. I know that he took my sin, but it's so hard to receive that he gave me his nature, he gave me his righteousness. Listen to how Paul says it. Let's read together. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Isn't that amazing? That God not only took our sin, that's mercy, but grace is that he was willing to give us his nature. He was willing to come and live inside of us. I love how Paul says it uh, in Romans. He, he quotes David back in Psalms 32 when David described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. 
I love how the King James says it, that God will never impute sin. God will never put sin in your account. I want you to know that when he forgave you, the Bible says as far as the east is from the west, which it says that in Psalms 103 verse 12, he has removed our sin. The Bible says in Hebrews 8 12 that he chooses to never remember our sin. How many of you know that when you ask the Lord to forgive you, he chooses to remove that and never, ever remember that again. I have a harder time forgiving myself than he does. I just want you to know, again, I say this quite a bit, but God does not see you as a no good, dirty sinner. The Bible says if he chooses to forget, I don't think he sees us. I think he sees us as he's given us his righteousness. God wants us to reign in life by receiving that grace and that gift of righteousness. But even more important than that, or as important, God wants us to share along the way. How many of you know it's good to receive mercy? We all want mercy. We all want grace. But the Bible says we also have the privilege of giving mercy and grace as we go through this journey. That's where we come along. Aren't you glad God designed the church where we need each other? I know I, I can't tell you how many people over the years have said, I, I mean, I'm going to go to heaven. I just don't need the church. Can I go to heaven without the church? I said, well, you can. Can you be married and never come home? Well, it's possible. Wouldn't be much of a marriage. And I want to tell you, God designed this thing where we need each other. And the amazing thing is, I know more than anyone sitting here that I'm a work in progress. I'm so thankful that God is patient with me. But God gives me the privilege to be patient with you. I mean, part of our journey, our relationship with God is learning to work it out with each other. Isn't that awesome? So we're all a work in progress. I love when uh, Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 5, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So one of the ways that along the journey, we get to show mercy. How many of you have ever been wronged in your life? All right, if you've ever walked outside of your home, if you've ever been involved around people, you've been offended in some way, all right? And so I wish I could tell you that if you join this church, you will never be offended. That would only be true if you never come back. But if you come, somehow in this crazy journey, and I think 99% of the time the offenses are never malicious, but sometimes we step on each other's toes. Sometimes we say something we shouldn't say. We go somewhere we shouldn't go. Sometimes we mess up. But that's part of the journey of God teaching us how to receive grace and mercy and how to give it. And I want to tell you, the most difficult thing sometimes is just getting along with brothers and sisters. It's one of the greatest parts of the journey. I love it. It's, it's the highest highs and it's the lowest lows. And if you've ever been involved, you know what I'm talking about, all right? But I understand why people say, I don't want to go back to church. I want to go to heaven without the church. Again, I think you can get to heaven without the church, but you're never, ever going to be fulfilled because God designed it where we need each other. And God's given us the privilege to show mercy to one another and to show grace to one another that he's given to us. Isn't it crazy that God gives us that same privilege of showing mercy and grace. One of my greatest all-time stories about mercy, I remember when I was a young pastor, I would come home and watch the movie one time, and it was about Special Olympics. I think the, the kid's name was Billy. I can't remember exactly. I think it was Billy. 
And, and the story ends at the end, they're, they're having this special Olympic race. People are lined up with, uh, they had uh, crutches, they had all kinds of things, and Billy was in the race. And, of course, I, I caught the movie kind of somewhere in the middle, but your heart's after Billy, and you're rooting for Billy. Now, some of you guys are probably too spiritual to talk to the TV, but I talk to the TV. I, I help them out. I mean, I help them. I talk to the TV. It helps me help them. But anyway, so the race is going, and man, I'm rooting for Billy. Whoopee! Go, Billy! Go! And he was kind of, man, there were several of them kind of around the front, and they were coming around the stretch, and they were coming down the home stretch, and right as they turned the corner, one of the girls that was just right out in front fell down. I said, yeah! He's going to win! Billy's going to win! That was when I was backslidden. But I mean, without missing a beat, Without missing a beat, Billy stopped. He turned around and he helped up this girl. And while he was helping her up, everybody passed him. And Billy and this girl came in dead last. But you know, when I was watching that, I still remember that as a young pastor. I felt like, have you ever had God speak to you during a movie? God said to me, that's what I wish for my church. It's not how fast we get to the finish line. It's not how many people we beat. But it's how many people we stop along the journey who have followed and just love on them and just help them to move forward. You know, at the end of the movie, obviously Billy didn't win the blue ribbon because he didn't come in first. But at the end, they they gave out a sportsmanship hat. The movie ended, I think, him holding up this big old trophy. Man, everybody cheered. You know, this journey we're on, one of the greatest privileges we have is just ministering to brothers and sisters. Again, it's not always easy. It doesn't always come natural. But the truth is we're all a work in progress. Aren't you glad that God gives mercy? But he says, blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy And then he also talks about us extending grace and forgiving one another. Because we are going to be offended in life. I I think it's in Luke 17, uh, 11 or 17, 1. Jesus said it's impossible, but that offenses will come. You're going to be offended in life. But we have to learn to extend forgiveness. He says uh, part of what we call the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And by the way, at the end of the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, whatever you want to say, the only part of it that Jesus expounded on was this part right here. Because it is a very difficult part. He says, if you do not forgive men, God will not forgive you. And so in this journey we're on, because God designed it where we need each other, we're always going to have an opportunity to extend mercy. We're always going to have an opportunity to extend grace and forgive one another. I remember as a young pastor, the first time I remember it really being so driven into my mind, there was a lady in our church probably in her mid-50s, and she came down the aisle one day and she said she was bitter against her dad. She had had bitterness since she was a young girl. Her dad had done something to offend her, to wrong her, and she's 50 in her mid-50s and she's still holding on to that bitterness. And she said, this week, I've got to go to my dad and make it right. I cannot tell you how hard that is to go to somebody who has wronged you. Now, again, you may say, they need to come to me. They need to come to me. 
But the Bible says when you bring your gift to the altar, if your brother has offended you, go to your brother. I can't tell you how hard that is to eat crow. But that week, she went to her dad and just sat down and wanted to make things right. And she wanted to release her dad. Now, you may say, well, what if her dad didn't accept it? It doesn't matter. You need to do what God's asked you to do, and that will release you. But the next week, she came in, and man, she had rivers of Maybelline coming down her cheek. I mean, she was like a small child, and just, I mean, she was just weeping. And she shared that that week, for the first time in 40 years, she was able to make things right with her dad. Can I tell you, that's the joy of the Christian journey, is to show mercy along the way, and to show grace, and to forgive our brothers and sisters. But even David in the Old Testament struggled, not because, I tell you what hurts the worst in the Christian life, if we can be honest. What hurts the worst is when a brother or sister, who's someone that we were close to, turns on us. I want to tell you, that is so difficult. It hurts so deeply. And even David said, it's not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It's not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it's you, my equal, my companion and close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together in the house of God. The thing that hurt David so greatly, it was a brother. It was someone who worshiped together that turned on him. And again, can I, can I be honest? I can understand why people get tired of the church and just say, I've had enough. But you'll never find the joy of the journey until you learn to get along in the church. That, I mean, just the fact that you're here today tells me you're overcomers. Because it is not always easy. And sometimes pastors, how many of you know pastors are not always lovable? Absolutely true. Sometimes we get in the flesh. Sometimes we don't always say the right thing. Sometimes we don't always make all the visits we should make. Sometimes we flat out do not do all that we should do. I want to just say in this journey, we're all a work in progress and that we need to learn to love on each other through the way. Well, Peter, he struggled with this idea of forgiveness because, again, it can be very painful. And I found in my life what hurts more than anything is if somebody offends Brenda or my kids. I can sometimes overlook something against me a lot easier than somebody that offends my wife or my kids. I tell you, you mess with somebody's kids. I mean, you're, you're messing with trouble right there. But Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how often shall my brother and he uses the word brother there. If it was a pagan, we would understand why they're mean. But how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? Now, this is just my opinion. I have a hunch. By the way, the rabbis taught that you forgive three times. And then you thump them on the head, I guess. I don't know, three times. So Peter comes to Jesus and he's much more spiritual. He says, Lord, how often do I forgive my brother? Up to seven times? Now, my opinion is, I think he had already forgiven somebody seven times, and he was hoping Jesus would say, sick him, beat him up, in Jesus' name, of course. How many of you have ever wanted to get even with a brother or sister? Yeah. 
How often do I have to forgive? How often do I have to extend grace? And undoubtedly, Jesus smiled a little bit because he knew Peter didn't really get it. And I want to say, I don't always get it either. And so Jesus responds back, I do not say up to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And I know that's 490. If you count up to 490 times, you have other issues. Amen. But what Jesus is basically saying is there is no limit. I mean, you have to be willing to forgive no matter how much they've wronged you. And again, I'm just telling you, that's not always easy. But I I think I've shared in my early days, I had a couple in my church that didn't like me. How many of you find it strange when people don't like you? Anybody? You guys are just so godly. But, you know, I was surprised they didn't like me. And they went out of their way to let me know they didn't like me. That's another thing. You know, you can, you can not like the preacher and fake it on Sunday, right? But I mean, you know, during the message, I'd look back and he would hold his watch up and shake it. And then, I mean, I would be preaching, talking about the love of God, preaching about the cross. I was all excited and he'd be going, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I want to tell you, that kind of gets in your head a little bit. But I used to always say, I remember back then I was a young pastor. I didn't know much. don't know a lot now, but I didn't know much then. But I said, God, if you could just get rid of this one couple. They're holding us back. I mean, man, we could really take off that one couple. They just don't like me. I want to tell you, God, my witness, they moved their membership. Yeah. Now we're going to really go somewhere. If my memory serves me right, the very next week after they left, two more couples joined that were just like them. (laughs) Here's what God said. Those people are not your problem. You're the problem. All those people did was bring out something in your heart that was not right. I'll tell you how hard that was. You know, I had to go back to that couple and ask for forgiveness because of the bitterness I had. That was hard. Because I realized it wasn't them. God says unless we can even love our enemies, we're not where we need to be. So this journey we're on, man, it's, it's amazing. But God has put us together so we can practice giving and showing to others what God shows to us on a daily basis. How many of you are excited to get in on that? Now, by the way, it is okay to get even with people. How many of you know that? Oh, yeah. Write this down. Write this down. It's okay to get even as long as you do it God's way. Ah, I knew there was a catch. So here's the catch. The Bible says, bless those who curse you. Just go around saying something good about them. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Overcome evil with good. I tell you, if somebody has offended you, get them a gift card to eat out. That'll show them. Send them flowers. By the way, don't send me any gift cards this week, all right? Then I'll know I've offended a lot of people. This is not a good week to send gift cards. But how many of you know God wants us to get in on his heart. And so God has put us together, not because we're perfect. There are no perfect churches because there are no perfect people. 
But God has put us together in this journey and given us the privilege of being able to extend to others what he extends to us every single day. That's exciting. How many of you are glad you're stuck with the church? Yeah. I tell you, when you're coming to church and you don't even know why you're coming and they haven't always done everything your way and they haven't always picked the color of carpet you wanted and yet you still find yourself, you just got to be here. Yeah, you're getting it. You're getting it. I want to tell you, without a doubt, man, my favorite part of ministry and my most difficult part of ministry is people. But it always shows me more about myself. And how self-centered and selfish I am. It's a great journey that we're on. And so Jesus gives this simple story, and we got to go through it quick, to try to remind Peter about forgiveness. Because he didn't get it, and we don't always get it. I'm kind of like James and John. You remember when the city of Samaria didn't receive them, and they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, should we call fire down on them? Man, that'd be fun, wouldn't it? Let's zap them because they didn't like me. Man, if God answered those prayers, we'd all be gone right today. We'd all be in heaven today. Aren't you glad that God is incredibly patient with us? And so he gives this simple story about a king settling his accounts. And the first guy came and owed him 10,000 talents. Now, that doesn't really mean anything to me, 10,000 talents. But let me just again give you an idea of what that means. One talent would be worth 20 years of labor. You'd have to work for 20 years, and all of your income would go to pay off one talent. So if you owed 10,000 talents, and every talent took 20 years to pay off, if my math is correct, that would be equal to 200,000 years of labor. Does anybody see a problem with that? This guy owed the king a debt that he could never, ever, ever pay off. And I want to go ahead and tell you, that guy is us. We owe God a debt that we could never, ever pay off. So he owed a debt he could not pay off. And the king says to him that he and his family were going to be sold and that partial payment was going to be made. They weren't going to pay the whole debt. But he was going to sell his family and pay off part of the debt. And so he falls down and he says, Master, have patience and I will pay you everything. Now, was he going to be able to pay everything? No. He either did not understand the debt or he wasn't very good at math. He was not going to ever pay back the debt. And I just want to remind you, there's not a person sitting here that could ever in your lifetime ever pay back to God what we owed him, ever. So he falls down, and even though he's, he's wanting some little, some compassion, he's wanting some grace, the master was moved with compassion and forgave the debt. How many of you think he had a pretty good day? I mean, if you owed 200,000 years worth of debt, and somebody says, I forgive you, I would become a Baptocostal immediately. I remember out with a youth group one time, a gal found a $20 bill. Woo! Woo! And she's waving it in our face. Look what I found. Woo! $20. Can you imagine if you owed a 200,000 years worth of debt and somebody says, you're forgiven? Now, can I just tell you, that debt was paid, by the way. 
If they forgive you the debt, somebody pays the debt. It was not the servant, but the king was willing to pay the debt. Wow. And I just want to remind you that God loved you so much that he was willing to pay the debt that you could never, ever pay back. Ever. And so he forgave the debt, and he had to have a good day, undoubtedly. And so he goes out, he's probably shouting, calling all of his friends, but then he runs into somebody who owes him a little bit of money. And I'll use Ron here. I love Ron Spreckelmeyer. He goes back to my earliest days here at this church. I want to tell you how much I love this guy, and I may have shared it in this service. This is a guy, when they were building this building, that gave up a year of his life. He gave up a year, took a year off of his job, and donated one year to help build this building. That's the love this guy has for the kingdom of God. I will always love Ron. But if I go out, I've just been forgiven of all this debt. I go out and I remember, hey, Ron, he owes me a couple hundred bucks. And I say to Ron, pay up. I want my money. And Ron gets a little teary-eyed. He falls down. He says, have patience and I'll pay you everything which that should kind of ring a bell. That's exactly what I said to the, to the king. But what would you think of me if you knew I'd just been forgiven of a debt that I could never pay back in 200,000 years, and I go out here and he owes me a couple hundred bucks, and I grab him by the throat and say, pay up! I want it now! And I say to Ron, you're going to go to jail. You're going to go to prison until you pay it all. Now, how many of you know when I put him in prison, he's never going to pay me back? Everybody say, duh. But, you know, we all have an IOU book, every one of us. And in that IOU book, anybody who has wronged us or our family, now, Ron has not wronged me, all right? So don't go out and say, I wonder what Ron did. Ron has done nothing. Poor Ron. That's a good one. Poor Ron. But if Ron has, or I think Ron's harmed me, I'm going to put in my book, I owe Ron. And every time I see Ron, I don't see him as a brother in Christ. I see him as somebody who owes me. You know, if you have something against David Tripp, and I don't know of anybody that does, but you know, if you think you have been wronged by David, every time he gets up and sing, you will never see him as a worship leader. You're going to always see him as somebody who owes you because they're in your book. We all have one. I want to tell you, the longer you carry that book around, the more it decays your heart. And I'm just going to go ahead and end the, the story by telling you, the king finds out what this guy did, if I can relate to me and Ron. So he finds out that I was unwilling to forgive Ron. He calls me back and he's angry. How could you not forgive? Because I've forgiven you of so much. I just want to say, no matter what people have done to us, it's nothing compared to what we've done to God. And Jesus says to Peter that God is going to turn you over to the tormentors unless you're willing to forgive. What does that mean? Well, here's what it means. If Ron really did offend me, and he hasn't, but I have been offended. But if Ron really offended me, you know what? If he really hurt me, all I can think about is what Ron did to me. I mean, I could be with my family, have an afternoon picnic, but I'm not really enjoying it because I'm thinking about what Ron did to me. 
at a meal. I can't even enjoy a meal because I'm thinking about Ron and what he did to me. I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm still thinking about Ron. I can't even sleep right. You know what that is? That's torment. And God says that if we're not willing to forgive, he's going to just allow us to be tormented. Isn't it kind of crazy that if I'm unwilling to forgive, I'm the one that suffers? And so on this journey, we've got to learn to show mercy. We've got to learn to extend forgiveness. And as hard as it is, it's one of the greatest rewards in life to realize what God has done for us and to be able to extend that to a brother or sister. Today I've been walking around, and I don't know, nobody really asked me about it, but I've been walking around with a rock in my shoe. I'm thankful this foot is partially paralyzed. And this may not look like a big rock, but how many of you know this can be aggravating? So all day I've been having that rock in my shoe. And that's kind of like harboring unforgiveness because it's always eating, it's always irritating, it's always just kind of needling away. And some of you say, ah, I want another plan. There is no other plan. God brought us together. God wants us to work it out. And this week, maybe we need to make some phone calls. Maybe we need to whatever to make things right. It's one of the most difficult and one of the most joyous things we can ever do is to not only receive mercy and grace, but to give it out along the journey. I want you to stand, if you will. I'm going to try to get my shoe back on, and I'm going to make sure that rock does not go anywhere else. I know you don't want that rock. But I do have a basket of rocks up here, and I'm going to ask you a pretty difficult thing. I want you just to take a minute and just ask the Holy Spirit if you have any rocks in your shoe any rocks in your soul, if there's anything that you haven't released somebody from that has offended you, it's going to be the most difficult, but yet I believe the most rewarding when we can truly make everything right. And again, if we can understand what God has done for us, it's really, really easy to extend grace to our brother and sister. So if you have something Maybe today you know for sure that you want to release that person. You can come down here and grab a rock and just lay it on the altar. Maybe you want to take the rock with you and put it in your shoe tomorrow just to be reminded. I guarantee you, you will think about the message if you put a rock in your shoe, especially if you let me pick out the rock. You'll remember all day about forgiveness. So maybe you need to take a rock with you. Maybe you need to put a rock there. Can we just take just a minute? And I just want you to allow the Lord just to kind of walk through your heart. And I know that everyone here has been bruised and battered. The fact that you're here is the grace of God. I wonder what would happen tonight if we released everybody from our IOU book just had the joy of just loving on one another. Carol, 
Carol came to me before the service and just said she found out they're pretty sure he has prostate cancer and he's still getting some tests done and he said well I'll tell you what let's wait till next week and pray when we find out more results I said if it's okay let's pray today so I'm going to ask Carol to sit right down here I'm going to ask some of you guys to come and get around him I believe God can use doctors and medicine absolutely I also believe God can heal. So I just want you to pray for him. And I want you guys, whoever else feels led, some guys to come and just pray for him. And if you need to slip out and grab a rock, I'll put the rocks over on this side. And I'll even put them in the back on the way out just to help you remember. One Again, difficult lesson, but tremendous joy. So let's take a minute as the music plays. Would you pray for those around you today? And I just want you to go through your IOU book and just make sure that you have cleared off anyone and everyone who has wounded you in life. Also, as we're praying, if you look this way, this Thursday, we're going to begin the third Thursday of every month. We're going to have a two-hour prayer time between 11 and 1, so maybe you're, you work close and can slip over. We want to take time to really pray for what's going on in our church family. And the only way I know that to do that is to ask you guys to share. And so on this tear-off part of the bulletin, it has a place for a prayer request. Would you consider, I, mean, I would love for everyone to put down what is the need that you have in your life? What's the thing that if you were to ask God, what's the miracle that you need in your life? It may be healing. It may be uh, forgiveness. It may be you're struggling with a sin. I want you to be as transparent as you can. And I would also encourage you, you don't need to put your name on it. I'd rather you be honest. I want us to really pray for what you're struggling with and just pray for God to supernaturally uh, show up and just, I always look at a miracle as God doing something only God can do and we all need a miracle. We all need God to show up and do what only God can do. So if you would consider just writing down a request, tearing this off, and I'll have a basket in the back if you'll uh, remember to just drop that off. We want to promise that we're going to pray about what your need is for God. And so on the way out today, I just want you to find somebody and I just want you to tell them God loves you just the way you are, not as you should be.
Because the truth is, again, we're always a work in progress. Aren't you glad that God shows grace and mercy? And now he's given us that privilege as well.